0: I want to tell you there is nowhere to go but down after Dr. Forshe's introduction. And I want to tell you how grateful I am to get to be with you this morning and to get to share God's Word with you. If you want to, you can find the Old Testament book of Jonah. And if you'll locate chapter 2, you'll be right where you need to be. We're going to begin in verse 1 in just a moment. I do want to tell you that of all of the people that I respect and admire in ministry, and really among all people, Dr. Forshi is at the top of that list. He is a dear brother. He is a good friend. My wife and I stepped away from our ministry, uh, our pastoral ministry, four weeks ago to begin a brand new ministry called the E2 Initiative. Uh, We have a heart for underserved pastors serving all around the world. Uh, 85% of the 2.2 million pastors that pastor around the world have no formal education and we have a burden for those pastors. And then on top of that, 80% of pastors serving even in the United States say that ministry is affecting them negatively, them and their families. And so we have a heart for them. And uh, four weeks ago, we stepped away from our church to begin this brand new ministry of serving those who serve the local churches, both here and abroad. And when I stepped away from the local church, I thought, I don't know that I'll ever preach again in another church. And a week later, I received a telephone call from Dr. Forshee who invited me to come and to preach. So I want you to know how grateful I am for you as a church and grateful I am for him as a dear friend and as a pastor. I want you to know, I know things about him that you don't know, uh, perhaps actually more than others, but uh, I roomed with him in Peru. So I see him at his best and I see him at his worst. And uh, I won't go any further than that, but we were roommates uh, in in Peru and uh, I sure love him and I sure appreciate him. Terry, get to see him again. Uh, I've seen him pretty much everywhere around the world except here. Uh, And so it's good to actually see him here in the United States, but uh, we're grateful. My wife, Carmen, is down here on the front row. And uh, thank you so much, it was about 20 seven or eight years ago that we came here to Great Hills Baptist Church when I was pastoring my first church in Fredericksburg. And we drove over here to the big city of Austin. I was pastoring a little church of about 30 people. And I walked into this building. It was not uh, it was about new about that time. And uh, I was just blown away. But what, a, what an honor to get to be here today and get to be with you. So I want you to get your Bibles if you would. And we're gonna begin in Jonah chapter two. And I wanna read in verse one. And then we're gonna dive in and try to answer a question today. And here's the question. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when all of your options are gone? What do you do when there are no alternatives? Where do you go? What should your next step be? Well, let's begin, and we'll see if we can understand a lesson from God's word. Here it is from Jonah chapter two, verse one. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. And here's what he said. I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard me and my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me and all your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I will look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, some translations have, but I with a song of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay for salvation comes from the Lord. On the evening of October the 15th, 1999, a young man by the name of Nicholas White was at work at the McGraw Hill Building in New York City. He was on the 43rd floor and it was time for a break. So he got into the elevator, he made his way down to the first floor and enjoyed some time away from his desk. When his break was over, Instead of going up the regular elevator, he wanted to go to the service elevator because it skipped a number of floors and it would get him back to his desk quicker. As he was making his way from the first floor to the 43rd floor, the elevator inexplicably stopped. He couldn't get his way out of the elevator. He continued to push the emergency button to no avail. Nobody was responding. So he sat in the elevator wondering what he would do, knowing surely that somebody would come looking for him. One hour passed, two hours passed, 10 hours passed, 24 hours passed, nobody came looking for him. Frantically, he begins to pry open the doors of the elevator and as luck would have it, when he opened the doors, there stenciled on a cinder block wall were the numbers 13. He was stuck on the 13th floor, but there was no way for him to get out of the elevator. So Nicholas White frantically spent 43 hours in the elevator. Now, if you're wondering what somebody will do For 43 hours, trapped alone in an elevator, all you have to do when the service is over, of course, go to YouTube and it has been condensed into three minutes. You can watch the whole ordeal. Finally, somebody saw him on the security camera and they thought that he was an intruder. And they asked him what he was doing in the elevator. When he explained his ordeal to them, they dispatched mechanics to the elevator to free him from the elevator. Now this is where the story gets even more interesting and even a little more troubling. Not one security guard ever paid close attention to the video feed of the elevator to notice that there was a man trapped in that elevator for nearly two days. You get this, five shifts passed by and not one person noticed that he was in the elevator. When White finally showed his security badge to the camera and they rescued him, his ordeal became public and is well known. Now, while many of us may never know what it is like to be trapped in an elevator for nearly two days like Nicholas White, many of us in this room and many of us watching online today know what it's like to be in a position where we feel trapped. Maybe you feel trapped because of a poor financial decision or emotionally trapped because of a a difficult relationship. Maybe you feel mentally trapped because of anxiety about the future and where our country is. Maybe your trap is loneliness or fear or your trap is depression or regret. As difficult as it is to be trapped, it is more difficult to know and to even believe that there is nowhere we can turn when we are trapped. I want to say from the very beginning this morning that being trapped is not a bad thing. In fact, I want you to understand that God will do everything within his power and he has unlimited power to get your attention. And if he needs to put you into a place where there is nothing that you can do to solve your own problems or escape your own circumstances so that he might get your attention, God will do whatever is necessary. He is that committed to you. He is that committed to you, to getting you from where you are to the place where he wants you to be. And that is where there is nothing greater in your life to you than your relationship with him. And he will work overtime to take you to that place. I want to introduce you to an 8th century BC prophet named Jonah. I don't really have to introduce Jonah to you this morning because you know the story of Jonah. And most of us, when we hear the story of Jonah, the first thing that we think about is what? A big fish, or some would say a whale. But the story of Jonah is really not about a big fish. Now, the big fish figures prominently in the story, and of course, it is the centerpiece of the story, but the story of Jonah is not about a fish at all. In fact, the story of Jonah is about God from beginning to end. The story of Jonah is not about the fish, but the fish is a part of the story. You see, in the book of Jonah, we see God confronting Jonah's life. And we see God controlling every detail Of Jonah's life. If you were just to look through the book and we don't have time uh, today, you will see God's hand at work from the very beginning. It was God who called Jonah. It was God who provided the fish to get Jonah's attention. It was God who provided the storm before the fish swallowed Jonah. It was God who delivered Jonah. It was God who gave Jonah a second chance. It was God who sent Jonah to Nineveh. It was God who brought about the revival of the Ninevites. The, the book of Jonah, the We May See a Fish, is really a book about God's providential work in the, lives of a diso- in the life of a disobedient prophet. Now again, let me go back. There will be a point in all of our lives where in a real sense we will feel like Jonah in chapter two we will feel like our life, our story, is about a fish and us being trapped in the fish. Helpless, powerless, without any sense of direction on how to get out of it. And for all of us, maybe that fish is something that we caused Maybe it's sin, or deliberate disobedience, or a foolish decision, or ignoring God. But for others, you may not have caused it. It may be something that found you, and the situation you are in is not your fault. It's nothing you did, but it's something that happened to you. Maybe your fish is a financial crisis, or a terminal illness, or a divorce, or a state of depression, or loneliness, or all of us can probably say it's, Endless talk about national lockdowns and viruses. Let me remind you of something that we are about to see, that the fish in this story is not something that simply happens. The fish in this story is something that God creates. It's something that God brings. The fish is not the story, but it is part of the story. You see, God was up to something bigger here. God was about to get into the sandbox of Jonah and to mess with all of his toys and to stir everything up in his life so that God could get Jonah's attention. Now I want you to look with me for a few moments at chapter two. And I want to be of an encouragement to you this morning because I want to draw your attention to three very powerful truths that are in chapter two. And if you are like most people when reading through the book of Jonah, you probably don't spend much time in chapter two because chapter two is not an incredibly encouraging chapter. And we'll see just why in a moment. But I want you to see these truths. I want you to notice, first of all, how we should recognize the danger of self-reliance. And just look at the language in chapter 2 as Jonah describes his own life and as Jonah describes his own circumstances. For example, you'll see in verse 2, he says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. Now, that is a firm grasp of the obvious. Jonah is in tremendous distress. And he describes that distress throughout the chapter. Verse one, he says, distress. In verse uh, three, he says, I am in the deep. In verse four, he says, I have been driven away. In verse five, he says, God, you are seeking to take my life. In verse six, he talks about the bars closing around him forever. Does anybody feel like that? I can tell you even as a pastor, there are days in my life when I feel like everything is closing in Like I'm in the elevator and I'm pushing the button and nobody's responding to the elevator. Surely you must see me, God, on the security camera. Why don't you open the door and let me out? Jonah is in a place where he cannot rely upon himself. And despite our best efforts, at some point in all of our lives, we are going to find ourselves in a place where we do not know what to do. Now, why is that? There are two reasons, probably a lot more, but two primary reasons. The first is obvious, or should be, to most of us in this room, and that is that we live in a fallen world. Sin has ruined our world. Genesis chapter three, verses 17 through 19 uh, gives us the chronicles of what sin has done to our world. We live in a broken world, a fallen world. Despite our best efforts, there's nothing we can do about our own sin. And there's nothing we can do to escape our own sin. And we do a very good job at trying to mask that. We put a smile on our face. We don't pay attention to the consequences of our sin. We don't want to hear it talked about. We want to ignore it. But there will be a time in every person's life, whether you're sitting in church or you're not sitting in church, when you will come face to face with your own mortality. This is Jonah chapter 2. There's nowhere for me to go. There's nothing for me to do. Distressed, driven away. God, you're seeking to take my life. Nobody's coming for my rescue. I'm in the deep. We live in a broken world. That's why we can't rely upon ourselves. But number two, and I want you to hear this, number two, God is writing his story. We are not the authors of our life. God is the author of our life and he is taking our individual stories and he's writing them into a grand narrative, a beautiful narrative, but in the writing of those individual stories, they're not always happy. There are dark chapters, there are difficult chapters, there are perplexing chapters in the story of our lives that God is using, and he's using them for our good, and he's using them for his glory. If we were to choose to write the script of our own life, we would leave out the pain, and we would write in all the experiences of joy. But I want you to understand this, that God makes himself known more powerfully and more profoundly through the pain than he does even through the joy. So here is Jonah in the belly of this fish and he comes to the end of himself and he says, I can't rely upon myself any longer. There's nothing I can do. Somebody in this room needs to hear that. Somebody watching at home today needs to say, God, I give up. I can't make a list to fix the problem. I don't know what course of action to take. I've tried everything I could possibly do and nothing seems to be working. God wants to bring us to a place where we stop relying upon ourselves. And though it seems like a place of weakness, when we come to the end of ourselves and our own self-reliance, we come to the point of our greatest strength. That's exactly why the apostle Paul said, for when I am weak, then he is strong. Let me give you a second truth that we can see. And that is that we need to learn to stop clinging to worthless things. So what does Jonah do in the midst of his distress? What does he do in the difficulty of his circumstance? Well, look at verse eight. We'll skip ahead for just a moment. Those who pay regard to vain idols. Some translations have worthless idols. Well, look what he says. Those who pay regard to worthless idols forsake their hope in steadfast love. The word steadfast love is the word chesed in the Hebrew. You have to sound like you're clearing your throat to say it it appropriately. But the word is is steadfast love. The, The best correlation to that in the New Testament is the word grace. And the Bible says that God's mercies are new. In the book of Lamentations, they're new what? Every day. God's grace is amazing. We sing about his grace those who cling to worthless idols, those who cling to worthless things forsake the mercy, the grace that can be theirs. When you rely upon yourself and you cling to things that cannot help you, where does it take you? It takes you further away from where God wants you to be. Do you know that God's greatest desire for you today is that you would make him your greatest desire? That God desires nothing greater than for you to want him, desire him, love him, cling to him, trust him, hope in him. And he will do everything that he needs to do if you belong to him, including putting you in the belly of a fish, stuck in an elevator, hopeless in your situation, so that you will stop clinging to things that don't matter. Those who cling to worthless idols, some translations have forfeit the grace that could be theirs. I was watching a program trying to escape the Hallmark channel in my house. So I went into another room. I have, I have I'm, I'm one guy with three ladies in the house. And now that one's married, she's moved on, but they still talk every day and watch Hallmark in different locations and then talk about Hallmark. And by the way, that's what purgatory, a definition of purgatory is. <laughs> Hallmark channel. But anyway, (laughs) so I like to watch things like gold rush, you know, things manly stuff. And so I was watching a, I was watching a show on TV where these guys were out in the middle of the Pacific ocean, really super profound. You know, you got to really think (laughs) and uh, they, their boat sank and they were treading water and nobody knew their boat had sunk or whatever the story was. And They're trying to swim to shore. They can see the shore, but the current's taking them away and they're trying to swim and they're treading water, thinking somebody's gonna come rescue them. Nobody is gonna come rescue them. And a log floats by, a barnacle-encrusted, slimy log. And these two guys feel like this is their their salvation, that God sent the log and they grab hold of it. And you can imagine, if you're treading water for hours and a log comes by, that's salvation and they're holding on to it. But after a few hours, they see the land growing more faint in the distance. And they realize the log is taking them further away from land, not to land. And so they have to make a decision. And they're having this conversation. Now, obviously, it's a reenactment, right? There was no camera there. But they're having a re- conversation. And, and they say, you know, if we hold on to this log, it's going to take us out to sea. If we let go, we'll, we'll make it to shore. Perhaps we'll survive. But we, ha- we have no hope in just holding on to this log. So they let go and they start to swim to shore, but they realize the current is too strong. Plus, they just let go of the one thing they were finding their security in. And so what did they do? They went back to it. And that's what a lot of us do, don't we? God says, let go. We let go for five minutes and then we go right back to it. Even though we know what we're holding on to is not taking us where God wants us to be, what we're holding on to is more important to us than God, and we find our security in that, and we're unwilling to let go. Well, ultimately, they had to let go because they knew they wouldn't survive, and they did. They managed to swim to shore. How about you? What is the thing that you're relying upon that you believe is going to bring to you whatever satisfaction you want? What is the thing you're holding on to? I mean, what is it? Is it getting you any closer to God? If it's not, then you've got to let it go. Those who cling to worthless idols forsake the grace that could be theirs. They forsake God's loving kindness. God is saying to you, I want to be for you what no one else, nothing else in this world can be. But as long as you're holding on to something else, you will never cling to me and trust me the way that you need to. Jesus said, give unto me my daily bread, trust me for your provision. There's a third truth I want you to see, and it's probably going to be pretty obvious, but it may not be obvious in the way that you think. So number one, we need to stop being self-reliant. Number two, we need to stop clinging to worthless things. And number three, we need to run to God as fast as we can. Look at verse seven for a moment. When my life was fading away, fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came up to you into your what? Holy temple. Does that sound familiar? It should, look at verse four. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your what? Holy temple. Let me give you a little Old Testament uh, lesson here in a way that I think you can understand it for every Jew, the temple represented really one main thing, right? It represented God, but it represented visibly, tangibly on earth, when up there, as John Ortberg says, when up there comes down here. The longing of every Jewish person in the Old Testament was that what was up there would come down here and there was this expectation that God would bring his Messiah and that God would give someone to sit upon the throne of David forever. And there was this huge expectation that one day God was going to come down here and he was going to do what? Dwell among his people. But God hadn't done that yet. He did it through uh, in in bits and pieces through his prophets and through leaders like Moses and others, but up there hadn't come down here yet. so when the temple was built and every Jewish person would look at the temple, it was this beautiful picture of up there coming down here. It's where heaven and earth intersected. If you wanted to know that God loved you, if you wanted to know that God has a purpose for you, if you want to know that God has a Hesed loving kindness, the temple was that visual representation through the sacrifices that were offered. It painted a beautiful picture of up there coming down here. Here's Jonah. I don't know what to do. The bars are closing in upon me. The waves are crashing over my head. The seaweed is wrapping around my neck. What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? And Jonah remembers what? The Lord, he remembers the temple. Jonah, his mind goes to God. And let me show you how powerfully this happens because you'll see it in verse eight and nine. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope in steadfast love, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will make good for salvation comes from the Lord. God brought Jonah to a place he did not want to be to get him to a place where God needed him to be. And what did he do? He ran to God. And I love the response in verse 10. It's not the most eloquent response, right? Verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. (laughs) Wouldn't you think it'd be a little more sanctified? God said, okay, I got you where I need you to be. You're not relying on yourself. You're not trusting in worthless things. Your mind has been drawn to the temple and at the temple is this picture of forgiveness and you have run to me. Now remember this, the fish is not the story. It's only part of the story. You say, well, wait, now, you know, Jonah disobeyed God and he got what he deserved. That's right, but let me remind you that God created the fish. That fish didn't exist. The Bible says the Lord prepared a fish. Did you see that by the way? Verse 17, he appointed a great fish. You understand that God never looks at your circumstances no matter how bad they are and no matter how difficult you have created things in your own circumstances. And here's one thing God never says, I never saw that coming. I have a friend who says, has it ever occurred to you that nothing occurs to God? Y'all could talk about that at lunch today and see if you can figure that. Out. No, God didn't say, I didn't see that coming. God said, you know what, Jonah, the fish isn't your, the story. I'm the story and what I'm doing in your life. But I'm going to create the fish and that fish is going to be part of the story. You see, what we're walking through in our lives And what we're walking through as a country, feeling trapped, helpless, what are we going to do? Maybe we need to be like King Jehoshaphat where King Jehoshaphat saw the huge army coming upon him and he said, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Somebody in this room, somebody watching at home, right this very moment, you need to run to God with all of your might. You say, well, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a theologian, I'm not a gifted communicator, I I, I don't know what to say. Simply take what you know of your sin and what you know of you and say, God, I can't solve my own problems. I can't erase the ugliness of my own heart. I can't rewrite the story. Here's the script. God, today, this day, I give you my life and I ask for you to write the script. Forgive me, cleanse me. I don't rely on worthless things. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. You want your life to be changed? That's the way your life can be changed. And allow God to change you from the inside out. You see, the place we don't want to be is often the place where God has to take us so that we trust completely in him. I was reminded of this story. It's an old story. It's called The Emperor and the Beggar. Maybe you've heard it. There was a a beggar and this beggar had nothing, no food, really very little, except he had a little bowl of rice. I mean, that's really all he had. And he would sit by the side of the road and he would beg, but he had his little bowl of rice and that's, that's all. And he, he became fond of that, right? Because if you don't have anything and you have just one little bowl of rice, I mean, that's gonna be everything to you. But he heard one day that the great emperor was coming through town. And he thought to himself, if anyone can help me, it's the emperor. He has unlimited resources. He, 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 can, he can, maybe he'll, he'll come by and he'll see me and, And he'll look upon me and my circumstances will change. And so he positioned himself by the road with his little bowl of rice and the emperor came by. And just as the emperor was about to pass by, he stopped right in front of that little beggar. And that beggar thought to himself, finally, I'm gonna gonna get freed. Finally, somebody has, uh, has noticed me. And instead of giving that beggar something, the emperor stooped down from his chariot and asked the beggar to give him some rice. Can you imagine the audacity of an emperor who has all that he could ever want asking a poor beggar for some rice? And so out of bitterness, shock, and anger, the beggar reaches into the bowl and he takes out a little grain of rice. And the emperor said, no, I, I want to help myself to that rice. So the beggar puts out his bowl and the emperor reaches in, not just once, but twice into that bowl of rice. And then just as quickly as he stopped, the emperor waved and he went on his way. That beggar sat there staring at his bowl of rice, bitter, bitter, hurt, empty, frustrated. But then he looked into that bowl and he saw something that caught his eye. And as he looked closer into the bowl, there in the bowl was a golden nugget. And something else caught his eye. There was another golden nugget. For every time that emperor reached into his bowl, instead of taking something from his bowl, he was putting something into his bowl. The beggar put his face in his hands and he began to cry at the generosity, out of gratitude of the generosity of the emperor. I want you to hear this today. What is it that is your bowl of rice? that you hold on to? Is it your ministry? Is it your, your possessions? Is it your, your your looks? Is it your health? Is it, is it your career? Is it your political affiliation? I don't, what, what is your bowl of rice? What is it that you put all of your hope in, all of your, all of your loyalty in, That if somebody were to come along and say to you, give it to me, I want to take it away from you that would cause you to pull back. We were talking earlier. This is a conversation all of us have. What is happening in our country since March and even before that? Could it be that God is getting into our little sandboxes in our country and he's starting to methodically strip things away from us Not to be ugly towards us, not to create unnecessary hardship for us, but to bring us to a place where we will open our hands and say to God, my life is yours. When I don't know what to do, I run to you. Somebody needs to do that today. Somebody needs to give their life to Christ today. Watching at home, you you were tuning in to hear some good preaching, and now you heard mediocre preaching, and that's okay, but you you tuned in, and and you stayed with it. You thought, that's not Dr. Forshee up there. I know we look alike, but uh, that's not Dr. Forshee, but I'm going to keep watching, and the reason you stuck with it is because today is the day that you need to give your life to Christ. Why not right now? God, I give you my life. And I thank you that Jesus loves me. And I thank you that heaven did come down here. Not in a temple, but in a person. Who died and shed his blood and was raised to life to demonstrate that he could forgive sin. And he could give me a fresh start. And he could give me a home in heaven. Right now, would you give your life to him? Would you say, Lord Jesus, today, I give you my life today, right now and he'll save you, and he'll change you. And there are people all over this room who are here to walk with you. You say, you mean, pastor, if I give my life to Jesus, trust God, and I'll drive a a Mercedes and live in a mansion? No, 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 no. But you'll have much greater joy nothing in this world could ever give you. What about you who are Christians? What is it that you're holding on to? Some of you need to be on the mission field. Some of you need to be serving the Lord. Some of you God's been dealing with for a long time in your life. Some of you need to to, to take your faith to work with you and and, and live out what you live at church at the workplace or at school or in your neighborhood. Some of us in here, we sing about all the poor and powerless and yet in our lives, we don't live that way because we live like we're self-sufficient and self-reliant. Maybe we need to say, God, today with all that I have of me, I give all that I have of me to all that I know of you, and I pray today that you would be the one who I cling to and trust in. Maybe you need a church home. Maybe you need to reach out to someone and say, I wanna become a part of this great church, Great Hills Baptist Church. He stops, he stoops down. Do you pull back or do you say, here God, Here's my life. Take it. Father, I pray today in this place and in every living room that the presence of of our Lord would be so real and so profound that there would not be any one of us who would say today, yeah, thanks for the great message. I think I'll just go and rely upon myself even more. Oh Lord, that's not what you want us to do. And if you have to create the fish to get our attention, you will. And maybe we're in it. And from the midst of that fish, Lord, today we say, but I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord.